KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Good morning. You're very welcome along to the show this morning. Our text and WhatsApp lines are um, still open as normal. Even though the weather has changed, all of that still remains the same. The Dinner's Ready contact line here at the station is 083 306 9696. You can free phone us on 1800 9696 and Ethnic Work is ready to answer your emails. KCLR live at KCLR 96fm.com. Yes, it's changed this morning. Temperature has dropped down to what would be the norm, I think, for this uh, time of year, about sort of 16, 17, 18 degrees. Uh, certainly in my house, the, uh, the, the way it's welcomed, I think, is probably the way it would be described. People complaining about not being able to sleep at night in the heat. And too. We're very good at doing that in this country. The grass always being greener on the other side. When it's cold and wet, we can't wait for the warm. And when it's warm and hot, we can't wait for the cold. But there has been a change. But uh, all still the same here this morning. We've got lots coming your way between now and 12, a couple, uh, 12 o'clock. In a couple of moments' time, I'll be chatting to Brian Kiley. He's the chairperson of Carlo Kilkenny Home Care Team. And Catherine Quinlan will also be joining us in studio, a former nurse and indeed board member, because big changes there and all for the better. We hope we'll be finding out what those changes are in just a few moments' time. But also with childcare providers across the country, they're planning to close their doors for about three days later on this month. We'll be asking Eleanor Peters from Play Together in Carlow. She's also a member of the Federation of Early Child Care Providers. Why? That's the simple question. And Eleanor will be telling us why, hopefully a little bit later on. Wedding fairs continue. Yes, we're getting ready, of course, for KCLR's very own wedding fair. And we continue to touch in with a number of the different providers who you will be able to go and visit at the Medieval Mile on the 28th of September. This morning, it's the turn of Dara McCann from Stargaze Photography. They'll be giving us tips to help capture those perfect wedding day memories. Samantha Rawson is in just after 11 from the Canine College. And even though he was in on Friday for our Friday panel, it's worth touching base again with Jim Mulhall, chair of Kilkenny IFA, because farmers are taking their concerns about the cuts to the nitrate levels. I suppose they're taking them to the next level, really, as they head to the Fianna Fáil thinking in County Tipperary. That and lots more besides. Do get in touch with us um, on any questions you have. 083 306 96. But as I mentioned there a couple of moments ago, Carlo Kilkenny Home Care Team have just secured the long-term funding and governance of its clinical nurse team. But what will that mean for the future of Carlo Kilkenny Home Care? Well, Brian Kiley is the chairperson of the Carlo Kilkenny Home Care Team and Catherine Quinlan is a former nurse and also a board member and they both join us in studio this morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Great to have you both in. Morning, Brian. Um, Brian, uh, first of all, to come to you, good news for Carlo Kilkenny Home Care Team? Yes, I think so. It's very good news. This is Palliative Care Week and we're delighted to be on with a good news story. I think the background, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with uh, the home care, as it's called. And it was founded by Ian Wilson about 35 years ago to provide palliative care in the home for the communities of Carlow and Kilkenny. And throughout that period, and Catherine, who's uh, sitting beside me, and, and all of the nurses who've worked for Carlow Kilkenny have provided a service of providing palliative care in the home throughout that period. We're delighted to say that the HSE... Um, have eventually agreed uh, that the funding of the nurse team will be will be their sole responsibility, which now gives us the opportunity to develop further services for the benefit of the communities in Carlow and Kilkenny. I mean, it's quite interesting. I mean, Catherine, you know, 
We just mentioned palliative care week and one of the interesting stats for me was that four in ten adults in the Republic of Ireland prefer not to even think about the fact that at some point in maybe their lives or a loved one's life, um, palliative care is going to play an important part um, of their life. Um, your work over the years with Carlo Kenny Home Care team, you must have come across so many stories of families who have benefited from that palliative care. Oh, we have indeed. And um, I'm happy to say that, you know, a diagnosis of cancer today presents us with a much more hopeful picture than that of 20 years ago. And with um, advances in medicine and in medical oncology, a lot of those patients are going on to lead very normal lives and they're able to um, avail of treatment for their disease, even when they have a diagnosis of Mm of cancer. Well, Brian, I mean, so many people listening this morning will be fully aware of the work of the team. But I suppose, thankfully, there's also a lot of people listening this morning who may not be aware of the work of the team. Just give people a bit of an oversight as to, to what work the team sure. actually do. Sure. Well, well, what is palliative care? I mean, uh, palliative care is the provision of care to relieve pain um, and other distressing symptoms uh, from a cancer diagnosis, not only limited to cancer diagnosis, but it's the relief of pain to enable p- uh, people who have a diagnosis to live um, a full life um, and, and we, provi- we provide the care to, to enable that. That's what palliative care is. And over the years, uh, Carlo Kilkenny Home Care team have provided that in, and there have been other organisations in other areas around Ireland. The, the fact that we're so well supported and would wish to be continue to be supported by the community. So the communities have, uh, have provided considerably generous donations to Cardo Kilkenny, which have allowed us um, to fund our activities in the past. Um, and we look forward to the communities of Carlo and Kilkenny uh, continuing to fund our activities into the future. So now that uh, the uh, nursing team is going to be fully funded by the HSE, there are other areas that we can provide. For instance, we wish to provide um, respite beds in Carlo and Kilkenny. They're called level two respite beds. We wish to provide uh, additional night cover to supplement the night cover already provided. Uh, and we also uh, wish to provide support in the area of supporting carers because um, people who have a loved one who has a diagnosis and is undergoing palliative care, that can be quite demanding on the family. And we would like to uh, uh, to provide supports to the family to enable them to have uh, maybe a better life during the time that they're providing the care. So they're the areas among others, that we wish to uh, widen our horizons into that area. And with the support of the communities of Carlow and Kilkenny, we would we would look forward to doing that. And we think it's a great way of progressing our organisation into areas that will allow the communities of Carlow and Kilkenny benefit from what we provide. Catherine, I understand that Carlow and Kilkenny Home Care Team was one of the first such teams outside of, of Dublin within the country. Um, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I understand that, that you've been with the organisation for many, many years uh, as a nurse uh, and now uh, um, doing some more of the logistical work, if you like, in the background uh, as a board member. Um, How will these changes, do you think, affect uh, people on the ground? I mean, obviously in a positive way. Well, we're, we're, um, I'll have to say we're delighted to be in a position to um, hand over this well-established and very competent service now to the HSE. And um, it's due to the insight and the vision and skills of Mr. Ian Wilson that the service is is in place here in Kilkenny today. 
as you know, he's the founder of that mm. service. He started it up all, all of those years ago. And um, I was in the happy position to be working with Kathleen Murray and with Mr. Wilson at the start of the service. And then uh, during my years as nurse manager, I had the privilege of, uh, you know, uh, attending to to patients in their home to bring in our skills to um, to those patients with the diagnosis of cancer. And I'd very much like to thank all of those uh, families, thousands of them who welcomed us into their homes over the years and then went on to provide us with wonderful local fundraising. And the service, in a sense, then became the property of the people. It's uh, the people of Carlo Kilkenny kept the service in existence uh, up until very recent years when there was a service agreement with the HSE and now the HSE are in the happy position to be able to take it over from the point of view of um, funding it and um, and going ahead from there. Brian, often when people hear about the HSE, mm-hmm. I mean, they often get a bad rap in mm-hmm. in many, many regards. Yeah. Um, some people may hear this, oh, it's been handed over to the HSE. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. That's going to mean delays. It's going to mean this, that, and the other. It's obviously a move that 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 you guys, as as a group, as a board, are confident that the HSE will be able to maintain its existing level of service and hopefully even further improve it in the future. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, we've been in negotiation with the HSE for uh, for two years or more. And during that period, we have got written assurances with HSE in relation to the level of services. And I'm aware that the HSE have, since they've taken over um, the governance of the organisation of the clinical nurse team, they have recruited uh, two additional nurses and they're going to train those up. Uh, so there'll be, I think, eight nurses in Carlow and Kilkenny. But I, I would like to emphasise, Brian, that this is the end of sta- stage one. It's the beginning of stage two. We wish to provide. There are lots of other services that need to be provided out there to people um, who, who require palliative care and to the carers. And we, uh, as a trusted uh, charity, wish to provide those services and we're looking forward to the continued support of the communities of Carlow and Kilkenny in allowing us to do that. That's very important. Uh, The HSE now will run the clinical nurse team. We will work with the HSE but we are an independent organisation. We will do our own thing and we will uh, work with HSE in identifying the areas that need attention. I've mentioned three of them being uh, respite beds and two other areas and there will be other areas that will develop and the needs of the community will develop as the services develop and we're there to provide uh, those supports to the community. Could I just say also that our board is made up of, we're very conscious that we're uh, for Carlo and Kilkenny and the counties of both. We have um, board representation. We have Breda O'Mahony and Mona McGarry representing Carlo and we have uh, Dr. Frank Chambers, uh, Leslie Moynan, myself and Bre- uh, and Catherine as the, as the board and we feel that we have a wide representation there and we're happy to extend the board as things develop. So we're looking forward to that. And we're very positive about it. Are you as excited, Catherine? I mean, obviously, you know, as we're <laughs> at pains to say here, this this handing over of those services to the HSE isn't Carlo Kilkenny Home Care Team in any way, shape or form going away. It's allowing you to focus uh, uh, on those three key areas that Brian mentions from development. Are you excited about the future of what Carlo Kilkenny Home Care Team can, can now do? 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, as I say, we're very proud of our team of uh, specialist palliative care nurses who are out there every day delivering a seven day service to the people of Carlow and Kilkenny. And they're very competent in their in their work and in providing uh, pain relief and relief of any distressing symptoms to patients with a diagnosis of cancer. So people can be really reassured that that service is there for them. It's not going away. And in, in fact, it'll be enhanced from here on in. That security is so important for people, you know, yeah. struggling with, with, with a cancer diagnosis, be it on a personal level or, or, or within the family. Um, fundraising is still going to remain a key part of what you guys as a board of directors have to do. But you'll be able to focus those funds now yes. on these new three yeah, areas. Yeah, I know, absolutely. And and the whole what we're talking about is is the result of progress, Brian, because uh, when the organisation was founded, as you said earlier, the Carlo Kilkenny was uh, the first one outside Dublin. Now they're they're everywhere and and they're all being taken in by the HSE. So the service has become, or the palliative care services has become uh, part of the fabric of society, and it allows us now to go out and to go into other areas and 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 work collaboratively with other organisations, so that we can enhance the service that's provided to the community. And we look forward to doing that, and we look forward to the continued support of the communities of Carlow and Kilkenny. I think I think you know you guys and so many other organisations around the country that offer similar services have done I, I, I can't find a word to describe um, the importance of the level of work that you've done because palliative care is something that I think the perspective of or, or the perception of maybe has changed so much in recent years it was something people were afraid to talk about for so many years and now although it, it, you know a tragic process for families to go through I think when I hear people talking about palliative care, I always get a sense of relief is maybe the wrong word, but comfort from somebody saying yeah, he or she is not well, but they're go but they're going into palliative care. It's positive again, the wrong word, but it is it's it's a real comfort to families and to see you know the progression of the service, Catherine. Um, it must be something that you're proud to continue to serve. Absolutely, and as I've already mentioned, like palliative care today presents us with a much more hopeful picture than it would have done 20 years ago because of the advances in medical oncology mm. and many of the patients on the books of the specialist nursing team with Carlo Kilkenny uh, they would be receiving palliative chemotherapy and then the specialist palliative care team would be there to visit them if required and when referred by their GP and the team would then be able to be in a position to advise them on all the matters because the diagnosis of cancer can bring with it a myriad of psychosocial problems as well as pain and other distressing symptoms and uh, our very competent nurses are in a very good an excellent position to um, provide that for them and we've no doubt that this will be uh, a wonderful and exciting and uh, very competent service going forward. Brian, can I read you a text and ask you to comment on it? It just came in from a listener, and thanks to the listener, um, um, Catherine, who sent this in. It says, um, I've seen Catherine in action a number of years ago in my friend's house, who sadly passed away. To say she's a ray of sunshine is an <coughs> understatement. She brought tons of love, peace and understanding, and also very sound advice to my friend, her children, her family and friends. Thank you, Catherine. Um, says that message 
you won't be surprised that we get text messaging like that, Brian, will you? No, <coughs> no. I, I'm in. I can only admire that they what the, what the clinical what the nurses do, and what they have over the last thirty years. Um, uh, and uh, I know the admiration with which the organisation has been held in. Um, I, I'm I'm a new chairperson, and and I know that uh, when Ian Wilson was was in charge, he and the clinical nurse team were revered by people um, uh, who had benefited from the service. Could I just say, Brian, because I mightn't have said it earlier, that we will continue to work with the nurse team and the provision of these services does not do, provide its own challenges for nurses. That, that you, you can be experienced and you can be at it a long time, but that doesn't mean to say that it doesn't come with an emotional cost. Mm. Um, and we'd look forward to providing uh, supports to the clinical nurse team as part of our service also. I, 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 I omitted to say that earlier, and that's important in providing services services and supports to the nurse team and we'll develop those in conjunction with the nurse team uh, over a period of time. Catherine you're a very you're a very popular lady I have to oh, say uh, I mean much. I have the benefit of sitting on this side of the desk here in the studio looking at all these text messages actually it's actually quite distracting in a positive way because all of the messages are coming in are obviously so heartfelt I'm getting drawn to them all and, and um, really enjoying reading them um, another one says uh, please don't read out my name but our family have had to use palliative care on two occasions I cannot express my thanks enough they are wonderful people so just to give you and, and all the rest of the you're team you're a right. sense yep. of all yep. of those messages coming yeah, can fine. I just say it's not all about me? No, I know. I, but I was only very <laughs> much a part of a wonderful team that I was so privileged to work with over so many years. And um, in, in my role as nurse manager, I had an absolutely, you know, wonderful relationship with the staff there as well. And each day then when you go out to visit families, um, everything has to be going well at the base and people have to be getting on well and I, I couldn't have done anything that I've ever done without the fabulous and wonderful and very competent team that I was working with. I was only part of that team. Yeah, well, I'm and sure. I'm I sure. To thank Mr. Wilson, of course, because without yes. Mr. Wilson, none of this would have been possible. Absolutely, absolutely. And Brian, I give the final word to you. I mean, I think it's important that we give uh, people the confidence to know that although this is a change in the work practices of Carlo Kilkenny Home Care Team, you guys aren't going anywhere. No, I, I no, and the people before me, Ian Wilson and Catherine, and all of the clinical nurse team and all of the people who have provided the service have got the confidence of the communities of Carlo Kilkenny, and and I'm here on behalf of board and on behalf of the whole team to reassure people that we will continue to provide supports in the areas in which they're required and we look forward to another at least 34 years ahead of us. I'm sure it'll be many, many more. I, I, I'm sure Catherine will be back in 34 years. Time. I'm sure she will. She probably won't be talking to me. She probably be talking to somebody else sitting in this well, chair. I won't be here. <laughs> well, listen, all I can say is um, on a personal level um, from myself and from, from I know members of the team here within KCLR and, and the wider population around Carlow and Kilkenny and um, thanks for all the work that you do and and and, and very many best regards um, for the future we're still looking to raise funds we'll still be talking about yeah. events coming up we'll still be Thank on the ground that. offering that yeah. support yeah. and care um, and uh, you've created such a perfect model to hand over to the HSE um, 
fingers, pace, fingers pace crossed Brian. everything yeah. uh, continues to work as well as it has done so far that's Brian Kiley chairperson of Carlock and Kenny Home Care team and Catherine Quinlan the fabulous Catherine I'm sure Brian won't mind me finding <laughs> Indeed, no, no. <laughs> it's not all about <laughs> oh, well, we know Catherine you're just uh, in a sense of imagery for all of the other members <laughs> of the team um, yeah. thanks for your text and comments please feel free to keep them coming in on that dinner's ready text and WhatsApp line 083 25 past 10 this Monday morning we'll be back with you in just a moment KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style see fairgreen.ie KCLR. Yes, you're very welcome back. It's uh, Brian Redmond with you until 12. Again, thanks to everybody who sent those beautiful text messages and WhatsApp messages in to our Dinners Ready contact uh, line 0833069696. If um, if you want to do so, if you want to share some thoughts, please feel free. Um, it's great to have them. And uh, thanks once again to Catherine Quinlan. The whole team, as Catherine was at pains to point out, um, both on the ground and the likes of Brian Kiley supporting at board level uh, for the fabulous work done by Carlo Care Home Carlo and Kilkenny did home care team. Now somebody else and another team of people within society who do fantastic work are child care providers. But with child care providers talking about a three day closure later this month, the process uh, indeed a protest is uh, due to be held in Dublin between the twenty sixth and twenty seventh of September. And joining us on the show this morning to tell us exactly why is Eleanor Peters. She's from Play Together in Carlo and also a member of the Federation of Early Child Care Providers. Uh, good morning, Eleanor. Welcome along to the show. Why are you facing into this uh, three-day protest? It's nice to talk to you again. Um, so I spoke to you a few weeks ago and basically outlined some of the issues that we've been having um, regarding the lack of funding or the insufficient funding, I should say, that's coming to the providers. Um, nothing has changed in the meantime, unfortunately. We're still you know, at the same point as we were. And there's no communication whatsoever coming from the department other than to say everything seems to be okay from our side of things. So unfortunately, we're, I did mention it at the time, it was a possibility, but I think it's it's definitely going ahead now, the three-day closure, just to try and, you know, make people aware and to make the minister aware of the essential function of childcare. So that if we close for three days, obviously everybody's going to have to scramble to find alternative options. And it's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to inconvenience. This is why we're in the job, you know, to, to help and to offer solutions and to look after and to educate the children. But if this is something that we have to do to, you know, to make people sit up and take notice, unfortunately, we've no choice but to go ahead and do it. And when we spoke a couple of weeks back, it was ahead of um, a number of childcare providers coming together to meet, I think, in County uh, Wexford somewhere. Um, what was yes, the feeling yeah. like amongst the members at that meeting? It's just... If you go along to any of those meetings, it's just despair, basically, in the room of people that have spent years and years, in some cases 20 to 30 years, you know, carefully building up their business, building up their teams of staff. And now staff are leaving the sector because they're not being paid adequately. You can't blame them. And um, rooms having to be closed within crashes or in some cases entire crashes are closing because the funding is not enough. And it's just at the meetings, people, you know, tell their own kind of situation and you know it's awful it's 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 really really sad to hear um you know the situation that they're in now and fearful for the future then obviously as well so a lot of people have said at the meetings if they don't close for these three days they'll be closing for good 
Do you know, there's a few who have said they won't open after Christmas if nothing changes. Um, the, they're really feeling that desperate at this space. stage that they're talking yeah. about actually closing yeah. their businesses. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's the smaller providers um, that might own, you know, they have a preschool, say, that operates for three hours in the morning and they're stuck at the same capitation, the same rates that they would have been getting in 2013. So, you know, we're 10 years later and they're still getting the same €4.60 Euro per hour per child that they would have been getting in 2013. And it doesn't make sense because, like, you can't park your car in Dublin nearly for four sixty an hour, like, but mm. somehow they're expected to run and operate a business and pay staff and pay overheads and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for four sixty an hour. It's, But there has been no increase since then, you know. Now, the core funding did come in. Um, to try and alleviate the burden, the financial pressure on providers, but unfortunately, it it, it falls short. And Minister O'Gorman comes out and says, "Yes, but you know we've put in 287 million into it, or you know there's one billion going into childcare now per year. And when I took office, it was only I don't know what it was, 400 or 500 million, which is fantastic. There has been a huge input into childcare, but." if he comes in and talks to providers or attends any of our meetings that are still ongoing, by the way, every week somewhere around the country, he'll know the reality of it. It's, mm. it's just not, you can't make decisions sitting in an office in Dublin for someone down the country that has, you know, dire financial problems. Like it's just, Well, Minister O'Gorman yeah. over the weekend went probably a little bit further than you've suggested because he actually said that the three-day strike leading to childcare providers closing the doors is, quote-unquote, not warranted. Um, how does it yes. make you feel when you hear the minister saying that what you're planning isn't warranted? It 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 doesn't surprise me, firstly, but you know it it is it's frustrating, and I don't understand why he can't listen and understand what's going on. When to so many of our public meetings, we've had TDs coming, we've had county councillors coming, and when they come to the meetings and they hear, they're like, "Oh yes, this is a problem. We're going to go back. We're going to go back to government. We're going to bring this up. We're going to, do you know?" But he can't seem to to grasp the reality, or not just him, probably personally. You know, it's his department um, that's working on it. They just don't grasp the reality of what's going on. So. From sitting up where he is, maybe it does seem unwarranted, but I mean, when they see the thousands now on the 26th of September, there's buses travelling from everywhere around the country. I think there's eight or ten buses coming up from Cork. There's six buses coming from Galway. You know, the buses are being booked. The um, the transport authorities in Dublin are doing deals, you know, for people attending the protest because they've had such a, a demand for it. And when he sees the numbers out in the streets, he'll have to he'll have to realise there's something not right. People aren't going to close their doors and travel to Dublin for three and four hours from down the country, you know, just for the crack. You know, it's not... No, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't mm. understand why he can say it's and Eleanor, do, do you think looking th- closer at it. Eleanor, do you think there's a bit of a divide between, you know, the let's say the private childcare providers, um, which I understand you're, you're obviously one of them, and the community-based childcare providers? Because it's our understanding that, that many of the uh, community-based providers also don't necessarily support these closures. Is there a difference and a bit of a divide within uh, the community of childcare providers out there? Well... I think at the moment, from my understanding of it, private and community childcare providers are all in receipt of the same funding. So the difference, obviously, then for community would be that they don't have to pay rates and maybe their overheads would be slightly less. You know, if they're operating out of community centres, they wouldn't have the larger kind of rents and utilities and all that kind of stuff that we'd have. Um, 
I, I really can't speak on behalf of them, but I do know that the large crash that closed down in Cork and it's reopening now, thankfully, um, that's a community service. So, I mean, if they were feeling the financial burden and the, the increased admin burden and everything such that they had to close their doors, obviously the community aren't being looked after either. Um, but it's a decision that every crash would have to take for themselves whether they're going to close or not and perhaps a manager in a community centre wouldn't have the authority to do that without the board sanctioning it and maybe the board you know doesn't want to I don't know rock the boat or mm. I, I don't know I'm only speculating you know okay. but it's not as simple as the manager just saying right we're closing for three days which I can do you know so it's it's just a different situation for them but I do know um, that the, some of the, the chains of providers are going to close the larger ones up in Dublin now for the protest as well and um, possibly some of the community I actually I don't know I won't know until and Eleanor today is Monday the, the 11th of September two weeks today yes. will be uh, the day before that three day closure and yeah. that three day protest um, is this definitely happening should parents of, of children in those types of centres uh, be looking around for alternatives for those three days at this stage Unfortunately, I think yes. Um, we notified all our parents, I think not last week, the week before maybe, or at the start of last week anyway. Um, we've had very positive messages back in support, you know, parents saying, look, this is you know, going to be an inconvenience, but we understand why you're doing it and we support you and we hope it all works out for you. Um, so I think parents have enough notice now to try and organise three days. If they're not happy, you know, go to your TD, go to your counsellor, email Roderick O'Gorman and say why is this happening can you not sort out this problem like because that's the only way if we kind of all get on board together and email the the government or email the minister then maybe you know he'll start to take a bit of notice he can't ignore it forever like well it's pretty clear know. from the statement he made over the weekend that he feels it's not warranted that he's very much drawn a line in the sand as things stand at the moment yeah and then what are you hoping to achieve yeah. um by this uh, three-day closure um in a practical sense um, in a practical sense, we're hoping that um, in the budget that something will be um, brought out for childcare, either an increase in the ECC capitation that hasn't been increased since, as I said, 2013, um, possibly an increase in the core funding. Um, we're also looking for a few other things like the AIM programme to be expanded. That's the programme that supports children with disability for three hours in the ECCE programme. We want that to be expanded to full day support because a lot of these children are in full day care, but are trying to be in full daycare but don't get the support beyond the three hours. Um, we're also hoping we really need what well, we really need the funding first to be able to um, attract and retain staff. You know, so to pay our educators adequately for the job that they do, so that they will stay in the sector because that's the biggest crisis at the moment. Um, and as long as you know we don't have the funds to pay them they're not going to you know want to work in the sector there's a lot of uh, students getting their level 8 in early childhood and they're just going on to do primary teaching mm. because they don't see a, a career or a, you know a future in in childcare okay um, but as things stand so from your perspective that as well as things stand from your perspective this three day closure taking place on the 26th 27th and 28th of September is going ahead yes absolutely Absolutely, it is, and I know several other childcare centres in Carlow and Kilkenny um, are on the same lines. Yeah, so, I was just going to ask yeah. that. Do you have any idea how many centres across Carlow and Kilkenny will be taking part in that three-day closure? I 
I don't have a number for you. Um, I just know I'm in a group with Carlo and Kilkenny providers, and I'm not the only one that's closing on those days. So, yeah, it's something so that will be parents should be aware of and know what to expect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Eleanor Peters, um, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Eleanor Peters, play together in Carlo. I'm a member of the Federation of Early Child Care Providers. And just in case you, you didn't hear the start of that, the early child care providers, many of them planning to close for a three-day closure um, in just over two weeks' time, the 26th, 27th and 28th of September. Um, thanks again for all those texts, still te- texts of thanks coming in um, for Catherine Quinlan and all of the team at Carlo Kilkenny Home Care team. Really do appreciate that. It's 21 minutes to 11 o'clock. We're going to take a short break, after which we will be continuing to look at weddings here in Kelly, Kilkenny and Carlo. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Yes, you're welcome back. Brian Redmond with you here on KCLR. Um, we had Jim Hall, Chair of Kilkenny IFA, on the uh, Friday panel, great Friday panel, on uh, Friday morning, talking about uh, the derogation, night rate levels, and you know all the challenges faced by the people in the uh, the farming sector, particularly looking at uh, the milk production sector, um, continuing this developments because uh, the farmers have said that they're going to go and uh, I suppose picket is that the right word? The uh, Fianna Fáil thinking that's happening down in uh, Tipperary. Um, people already getting excised enough to text us and WhatsApp us here on the show. Thanks, Aidan, for your text message. Um, we'll be joined by Jim Mulhall, chair of the Kilkenny IFI at twenty five past eleven. If you've got any messages that you want to get in for Jim, do get them in now. As I said, he's coming your way a little bit later on this morning but something that's coming your way a little bit later on this month is KCLR's very own wedding fair taking place at the Medieval Mile on the 28th of September um, it's going to uh, give us an insight into all of the different areas of wedding planning people talking about being stressed I don't remember being stressed in the built up to my wedding but I'm sure many of you will be listening to the radio going yeah well of course you weren't because it was uh, Jen my wife that did all the work it was indeed but if you're somebody who's getting ready for a wedding thinking about getting engaged and want to get a bit of an insight for it KCLR's very own wedding fair um, is coming your way now one of the companies that will be there on the evening is Stargaze Photography and uh, Dara McCann from Stargaze Photography caught up with our very own ethnic quirk to give her some tips on capturing those perfect wedding day memories. We keep this love in a photograph. We make these memories for ourselves. Where our eyes are never closing, hearts are never broken, times forever frozen still. I'm joined by Dara McCann of Stargaze Photography. Dara, you're going to be joining us at our wedding showcase evening up in the Medieval Mile Museum on the 28th. Welcome. Yeah, hi Edna, how are you doing? Looking forward to it. Whereabouts are you based, Dara? I'm based in uh, just off the Waterford Road in Kilkenny City. How long have you been a wedding photographer? I have been a professional since 2016 and the majority of my work has been all around the country since then, but really in the last few years I've really honed it into into uh, Kilkenny and kind of regional southeast 
of the country. Tell me that. You must have seen it all over the years. Yeah, we, we, we kind of had our name in lights there a few years ago, back in 2018, when um, we shot this, this very famous uh, hay bale shot in Kilkenny. It was like this giant tiered uh, wedding cake made out of hay bales. Yeah, I remember that photograph. That was stunning. Do you find that couples now have set ideas of the kind of photographs that they want to capture of their day? Yes, yeah, some do. Most don't. Some will come to you, I like this, I've seen this on Pinterest or whatever. But um, a lot of couples will contact me and they will have looked at my work or maybe a referral or something and they kind of trust what I what I do and I have a kind of distinctive way that I work. It's good fun for them and, um, you know, not, nothing's too serious, you know, and a lot of candid stuff, which is what kind of couples like. But, but yeah, but in short, I think they trust what I do. It's very important, that relation, isn't it? You do have to have a huge degree of trust in the person who's taken photographs of one of the most special days in your life. Oh, absolutely. I would arrive early in the morning, maybe around two and a half to three hours before the ceremony, and you're really with the bride for most of the day, like up until the meal. Then there's, depending on the size of the wedding, but you, you, you might be looking at around two hours, maybe sometimes a three-hour break during the meal. But, but other than that, you're kind of in and around the whole time. And um, if you're with the guys in the morning, then you got them a lot of times they don't know what to do with the flowers or where things go or whatever and uh, yeah I mean we, we pick up different pieces of the puzzle along the way and we can always kind of help in, in any way that we can you know You must be used to studying the, the nerves then So I've been told I've been told that I have great patience because I have two small kids myself so uh, I have learned over time to be a lot more patient with people and, and, and timekeeping is an important one as well because I suppose on, on the morning of a wedding timekeeping is very important from your photographer because Sometimes while well, the party getting ready from six thirty in the morning, seven, eight, whatever time, and then we will arrive maybe around eleven, maybe half past eleven, something like that. And sometimes there's not that much happening, you know, low the time, and then all of a sudden they've got to do so many things, and there's only like half an hour to go, or whatever. So it's really an experience. Photographer will keep on top of that and say, okay, listen, we need to be doing this now, and uh, we're going to do a prosecco shot, maybe if you have some nice robes or if you have any details, have all this kind of stuff. If you have a nice hotel or a nice room, make sure that it's clean and there isn't like uh, clutter all over the place, which can tend to be the way. It's really experience that, that you can really guide the wedding party and, and help them out, you know. And come here to me, when you talk about clutter there, I presume you can use Photoshop and packages. I, I don't know anything about photography. <laughs> but I presume you can edit out some of that clutter and some of the blemishes and things like that if needs be. Maybe even a family member. No, absolutely. But, but kind of what I was... Oh, family members is, is, an, is a total different story altogether. But really what I was talking about with, with the clutter would be just kind of like the plastic wraps for the dresses and shoe boxes and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's just a, a quick, that's just a bit of housekeeping, like get it out of the way, get get the place nice, get, if, if the bed is, get the bed made, you know, because sometimes you're in these really nice rooms and maybe they've been there the night before, maybe two nights before, and it's a bit of a mess, so you kind of want the location or a, or a vintage car or something. They're, they're kind of like another character of the day, important characters, because they've been, they've been carefully selected for, for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, we kind of want the place to look as good as we can. Now, um, in regards to, to the family members and stuff, you mentioned Photoshop and, and enhancing and stuff. It's not something that, that I do a great deal. Like, I know how to do it and there's no problem. Enhancing photographs and making things look really nice, that's just a given. I don't go crazy on that kind of thing. But when it comes to removing objects and removing people in particular, it's not something that I'm such a big fan of. You know, um, I have had some, some funny requests. Go on, tell us. Uh, one of the most recent ones was that... Um, I was working in Alice Allen Wexford recently and the bride and groom had these big dogs. I don't know what kind of dogs they were. Daffies, I think, but they were big. And three of them, and the hotel wouldn't allow for them to 
to come in for obvious reasons. And she was like, oh, we love our dogs. Any chance you could Photoshop the three dogs into the, the wedding day? And I was just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so we eventually caught up with them after the wedding and we did some stuff with the dogs afterwards down at the beach and stuff. So, oh, uh, yeah, Photoshopping, Photoshopping dogs or children uh, either in or out of uh, family portraits and stuff is, is a big no-no for me unfortunately <laughs> like the, with the with the advancements and the technology and stuff now there, there are I haven't used too much of it myself yet but like there are now tools and stuff to like straighten eyes and straighten grins and smirks and all sorts of weird stuff which again I haven't ventured down yet but you never know we'll see it nearly loses the essence of a photograph when you start doctoring yes. it doesn't it yes yeah, who's to say you can replace it, give someone a new pair of eyes, you know, or a new nose, which you could, if you yeah. want to do. Dara, listen, thank you so much for your time. So tell me, on the night, you're hoping to meet lots of couples from across Carlo and Kilkenny? Yeah, as, a, as, a, as I said at the beginning there, um, for the last few years, I've really, I've really established myself in Kilkenny as one of the leading photographers around. I work a lot in, in the main hotels in, in the town here. And yeah, I mean, every, every time I walk into town, or anywhere really I see a bride or a groom or a family member or a, or a wedding party member or someone who was at the wedding it's just like there's just done so many now and, and with Kilkenny being so small and Carlo as well and, and then surrounding area uh, further south down into into uh, Wexford and Waterford as well so yeah really looking forward to it and um, you know Kilkenny is such a great hub and a destination only as recently as, as last Sunday I, I had a wedding in Langton and the couple had come from Perth in Australia to get married in uh, in Kilkenny so um, I've done quite a few of those and the previous week again Langton's and they've come from England so it's an amazing hub and a destination for couples to come from nationally internationally and uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really proud and happy that I've kind of cemented my, my, my place here at the, at the top table of the, the wedding industry here so when you're talking about weddings and you're, you're cemented at the top table I've cemented no. myself at the top table <laughs> you've me looking for a tagline for the last two days no better place for you to be so, yeah cemented at the top table yeah so you can keep me inside the pocket of your ripped that was our very own The Quirk talking uh, to Dara McCann from Stargaze Photography. Dara, along with many other great wedding providers in Carlo and Kilkenny, will be at that Casey Law wedding fair taking place on the 28th of September. Um, it, it made me laugh when I heard them talking about photoshopping people out of wedding photographs. It's, it's amazing. Normally when people look back at wedding photographs, they do that whole thing. Oh, God that person's passed away and that person I suppose if you got married fairly recently maybe there's less of that going on but for those of us who have been uh, wearing the band for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years looking back at the wedding photographs is such an important part of our little we all get a little bit nostalgic when we do that um, but if you're looking to create those perfect memories don't forget that Casey Lore Wedding Fair coming up on the 28th of September it's going to be a fabulous evening 5 to 9 in the Medieval Mile Museum all you need to do um, and just if you fancy just popping along and having a look it's free to go along so you can just register um, by visiting KCLR's social media pages KCLR's websites um, and worth doing also because not just will you have uh, a fabulous evening's entertainment to pick up plenty of information along the way there's also the chance to win a 1000 euro holiday voucher just by taking part we'll be speaking to many more of the providers that will be there over the coming days so do stay tuned 9 minutes to 11 o'clock CL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR.
You're very welcome back. It is eight minutes to 11 o'clock on Monday, uh, September the 11th. A uh, key date. We'll be talking a little bit about that in a moment. Um, but taking us a little bit closer to the news at 11 o'clock. Time for a little bit of music, Irish music. Picture this with red lights. Baby, all I knew was red lights, red lights. Till you open up the skylights to my eyes. Baby, all I knew was red lights, red lights. Baby, all I knew. Let's picture this with red lights at uh, five minutes to 11 o'clock. Great Irish music. And of course, John Keane after 12 will have plenty of similar to keep you entertained right the way through until four o'clock. It's amazing how time um, sort of dulls the memory. Ethna Quirk and I were talking a few moments ago. I hadn't even realised until Ethna mentioned it. Of course, it is the 11th of September, 9-11, 20 two years ago, the day when almost 3,000 people um, lost their lives. You know, you think about coming up to the news on September 11th, 2023, and how that story dominated news headlines globally for months. Slightly miraculous. I was reading some stats um, from 9-11. The fact that there was 50,000 employees uh, working in the World Trade Centre and an additional 40,000 people pass through those complexes um, every day of the week. It is slightly miraculous that only, I believe me saying that, um, only 3,000 people lost their lives on that day back in uh, 2001. Um, Huge, huge connection between Ireland and New York. Of course, so many people... Um, concerned for, for, for family members that were over there and the like so it, it, it's worth uh, just mentioning that this morning um, thinking about those people and the, thinking about all the people who lost their lives in that earthquake over the weekend as well in Northern Africa um, these tragedies they really do reach global um, news headlines and we've got the news headlines coming at 11 o'clock this morning um, and I just thought I'd mention 9-11 the fact that it is uh, the anniversary of that today I was actually in an airport um, of all places um, when the news of 9-11 broke uh, but the, the hassle we had on getting home was small compared to the tragedy that was faced by those you know, 4, 400 police officers and firefighters uh, among the dead and we, our thoughts are with them and all their families today uh, 3 minutes to 11 o'clock um, if you've got any thoughts or memories from 9-11 that you wanted to share 83 306-9696 We'll be back with the news at 11 in just a moment KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style see fairgreen.ie Oh Ashling, we're in studio here Samantha Ross is with me we're, Samantha and I are always having the chat we were just talking about 9-11 I'm going to now take my life in my hands by asking you a question um, it's a question other very well known um, broadcasters across the country Etna Quirk is looking at me pensively she's, she's worried don't worry Etna we're not going to get taken off air I'm just going to ask her were you bo- actually born when, when 9-11 happened? Oh, it's my first birthday when it happened oh, yeah gee. I know your first birthday? yeah so my mum actually remembers it she always tells the story she was actually driving home from work um, after picking up my first birthday cake and it came over the radio that um, so your birthday happened. is today yeah well, oh well happy <laughs> birthday to you I'm not John Walsh I'm actually not licensed to sing happy birthday live on air That's to anybody okay. <laughs> so being one um, understandably of course you had much bigger plans for that day than 9-11 of course 
yeah, obviously, but obviously it was a very, very sad day. So we have to, yeah, acknowledge that too. Yeah, yeah, it's mad. Yeah, mm. well, 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 happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> One when 9-11 happened. My God. KCL or Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Samantha Rawson from the K9 College is in studio. Well, Samantha, you must have been about two, were you? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. I was walking dogs down in Ringsend in Dublin um, near the bird sanctuary. I used to take dogs down there because it was nice and quiet and off the beaten track. And how did you come across the news? I mean, I, I, again, I can't quite remember. I don't think smartphones wouldn't have been around you know, no, in 2000. And, uh, no, back in the day, Brian, I used to walk around with the radio in my pocket. Oh, just a bit, <laughs> fair play to you. Just you an know? ordinary little transistor radio yeah. in my pocket. And uh, it came on Joe Duffy Liveline, I think. Yeah, middle of the afternoon. Yeah, middle of the afternoon. And uh, I was quite shocked and, and, and kind of was listening in horror, but trying to concentrate that I was looking after, you know, 12, 12 dogs that were all off lead. Yeah. So I had to I, keep I, in I mind think, on what I was doing at the same time. I think 9-11 was a bit like our, uh, for our generation, if you like, the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, the yeah, absolutely. The one moment that yeah. everybody yeah, remembers you, you and know, stands still. You know exactly where you were on that yeah. day. When, I, when I, walked, I was in an airport. In, I walked into an airport in Italy and went straight into a coffee shop when I walked into the coffee shop I couldn't understand I thought it was just the Italians being lazy you know what I mean they're all standing around looking at this TV behind them nobody's serving it was only when I looked at the TV uh, obviously I I didn't speak Italian so I didn't really Mm. know what was going on but you could see the pictures absolutely frightening but it is the anniversary 3,000 people Mm. almost lost their lives on that day but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk as we always are uh, canine things body language yeah, like, body, can you read a dog's body? Well, no, you can't because you've got dog superpowers. But can yeah, the rest do, of us read? But, dog okay, professionals can read dogs, but but your average dog owner can't read dogs, and the general public certainly don't um, don't have the skills of reading dog. So so just to kind of talk about body language and to remind us all that we're two totally different species. Mm. So even though we thanks for reminding us <laughs> that <laughs> we do socially coexist and and dogs live with us because they share an awful lot of our qualities in that they share family groups, there's a hierarchical system, you know, they share food, they hunt together for food, there's, they're, they're cooperative um, species like we are. However, there's a couple of things that, that, that separate us. And one is language. So we are verbal animals. So, so we communicate by speaking. Right. Um, dogs are visual animals, so they do most of their communication by body language. Mm. Um, so, so sometimes when you're greeting a dog, it's really important to stop, observe them, let, see if they want to actually engage with you. Just because you want to engage with them doesn't mean they want to engage with you. Also, as humans, we tend to um, go forward and we shake hands or we hug and we embrace. That to a dog is incredibly threatening. Yeah, I mean, we'll we, we talk a little bit more about um, some un- some unfortunate dog attacks that are happening and some bits and pieces around that. But the, the elements of canine body language that most of us probably know are probably the elements whereby it's too late you know the showing of the teeth the the you know that one where they drop the head down and they get into sort of not quite attack mode but yeah well well, exactly it's not too late it's not too late until you've been bitten but but up to that point the dog is trying to say please go away please back off a dog doesn't want to be aggressive I mean I look after dogs and I have eight dogs of my own and when you watch dogs they do an awful lot of visual communication to say please back off please stop the last thing they want to do is to put their teeth on another dog or another human being what about turning your back you know this the, 
the things that we teach the kids. Yeah. You know, we teach yeah. don't don't. So if you are confronted by a dog who's saying please back off, should you literally back, back away? Off. As Absolutely, yeah. back off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, right there, that was quick. Yeah. I'll do it again. Should you literally just back away? Yes. Or um, if a dog turning is, your back, okay. If a dog is growling, it means back off. Give me some space. I don't feel comfortable. Um, if you don't listen to that growl you will get bitten. Some dogs, though, are so nervous or so insecure, they won't even growl. So just because a dog seems okay doesn't mean it is okay. And what's really important to remember is dogs don't talk, right? So so sometimes dogs won't even growl. They won't even bark. They won't even do anything. So, so that silence can be a cue as well. So that's why looking at their body language is really important. And I was actually looking at my own little fella yesterday, Rascal, who is so cute and has cute ears. His his ability to communicate that he feels threatened isn't as easy as the other dogs who might have ears that pick up or tails that will go onto their bum. So small little fluffy dogs like the cockapoo crosses, they can be actually hard to be hard to read. And it occurs to me that an awful lot of people will say I have an aggressive cockapoo, which kind of goes against the nature of the breed. And that makes me think that maybe the dog is communicating. I feel uncomfortable, but because their cutie looks, it's not being read. Okay, yeah. So they sort of getting from one to ten on their aggression scale before we've even realised that they're feeling insecure. So, So if a dog isn't growling or isn't snarling or isn't doing any of those things, some of the subtle cues would just be turning away. Just just if the dog walks away, if it turns its head away, if it maybe, you know, lowers its head or or just kind of looks as if it's going, I don't really want to talk to you. Mm. Um, and, and I will always let dogs know what I'm going to do before I do it. So if somebody says to me, oh, I'll pick the dog up, I will say stroke him first. Let him know that you're there. Don't suddenly pick a dog up because that's tantamount to, you know, a bird of prey coming down and picking up a mouse. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You can't just suddenly swoop down and pick up a dog. You've got to let them know it's going to happen. So you stroke them first a couple of times, see if they're okay with that and then slowly pick them up. I want to move on and talk about um, when we do get to the point whereby the unthinkable is happening or has happened because Mm. I mean we've got more stories coming from the UK Mm. um, just this week uh, of dog attacks Um, I know you've got a tip that from a family's perspective that you should never have a dog that's bigger than your smallest child is that right? Yeah so so if somebody rings me and says oh Samantha I'm thinking of getting a family dog the first thing I'll say is how, how old is the youngest because dogs grow rapidly within a year children don't grow as fast as dogs do so say if you're thinking of getting a, a Labrador Retriever beautiful family dog but your youngest child is maybe five or six mm. so when that dog is fully grown that child's only going to be six or seven yeah. Yeah. so <laughs> he's going to be able to knock over the six year old and consequently knock over the six year old's friends Yeah. So, so that dog might not be the most appropriate dog for the family at that moment so I will always try and say pick a dog that's not going to be bigger than your smallest child if it happens to jump and stand on its two back feet. I have a dog at home now. I'm only five foot nothing. I have a dog at uh, home. You're not even that, are you? I talk, <laughs> I talk about four foot eight to be quite an <laughs> And he's, he's taller than me when he jumps yeah. on me. So, so I actively invite him to jump on me. But the joke is he's actually taller than me when he jumps on me. <laughs> So, <laughs> no. just goes to show. Yeah. But you know, we, we, we've had those stories about the dog attacks, and even here in this country, I heard one of. Um, now, thankfully, it wasn't on a person just last week. It was um, on a beach up in Dublin. Okay. Uh, it was one of those breeds that are described as attack dogs. Now, the story goes that this dog was on a lead, but not muzzled, getting back into the car, got free of its owners, straight down the beach, and locked on to uh, another little dog. Oh, okay. So you had a situation there where you've got 
both owners of yeah. both dogs trying to separate those dogs. God forbid, if you're around an attack that happens, mm. what advice would you give to people? Um, I would say stay out of it. Mm. Um, because dog fights usually will only last a, a couple of seconds. Like most traumatic things in life, it seems longer than it is. Mm. And most dog fights will, will be over very quickly. So, But if the dog looks as if it's being killed by the other dog, then the only thing you can do is maybe, you know, grab a bucket of water and try and, and douse it with water or to spray something if, the, if there was deodorant or any kind of spray to maybe spray something around the dog's eyes. Um uh, a pal of mine actually <laughs> in a dog fight grabbed the dog's tail yeah. now you need to be very brave and very quick to do that the other thing I've seen is if you kind of go and, and grab their back leg or go inside and, and almost attempt to grab their testicles you need their testicles testicles their testicles most dogs will stop what they're doing yeah, well, you're, going, yeah, you're going near their private parts but you have to be careful because the dog could then lash out and bite you. Yeah. And dogs will always attack the um, the victim, if you like. So if the dog then turns around and attack you, the other dog could then join in. So it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. So so dogs are are pack animals, and they will all join in whoever the victim is. Yeah. So that's why you'll see in dog fights, you know, dogs can get on quite well, and then one day they're all torn on one another yeah. before you know it. Yeah. And yeah. then one day there's a dog fight, and everybody will jump in on the on the the person it, the victim. When I was when I heard that story, this, the piece of advice that was given was the book of the water thing, yeah, and I was yeah. like, I'll check that out with Samantha yeah, Shield now. Yeah. yeah you. The the other thing is that sometimes if you walk away, now I know obviously that's a very traumatic frightening experience but if the guy had probably got into his car and driven off the dog might have followed him yeah do you know what I mean wonder where, where he's in yeah because if you stand there you're almost an audience and an awful lot of dogs if you give them the choice between pursuing what they're going to pursue and you walking away and following you they will hopefully if they have a bond with you they will follow you okay so that's all the body language stuff in and around aggression let's call yeah. it that yeah. but I mean when we are uh, interacting with our own species mm. The body language also often tells us when somebody's in a bad mood, but it yeah. tells us a lot more about our work colleagues or people at home. Are there other things we can learn about our dogs other than when they're feeling aggressive from their body language? Oh, yeah, yeah. If they're feeling a little bit sad, if they're feeling a little bit, um, you know, sorry for themselves, like like most people who know their dogs well will know if the dog looks unwell. So, so my girl a couple of days ago um, was kind of very down on herself and had very sad eyes and didn't wag her tail when I spoke to her which is very unusual so I took her down to the vet just to get her a once over because she's 13 so so if your dog is kind of not its normal self um, you'll know but if if they're quiet if they kind of don't seek social engagement if they go off by themselves um, and any little kind of yelps or little creaks like I, I was brushing one of my dogs the other day and it's when I picked up her leg it, it kind of creaked so I kind of thought, oh, there might be a bit of arthritis in there. Okay. Um, so, so I suppose the thing to remember is that when you speak to a dog, you've got to speak to them nicely. Um, kind of, you know, being angry or screaming at them isn't going to work. Um, if, if a dog is running away from you, the best option is to make a mad noise, a noise that you wouldn't usually make, and to run away. <laughs> give us an, I was going to say, give us an example of well, a mad I, I, I usually go, yeah, yeah. I usually go, bah, 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 you know. You know, um, every dog in the country now has just dived <laughs> under a, a table yeah. or a chair somewhere. Um, the other thing is, is to sit down. If, if a dog won't come when it's called, like I was working with a customer the other day and the dog wouldn't come when she was called and we were, you know, we were trying to do a bit of work with her. I wanted to put the line on her. 
Um, and I just said to the owner, just sit down, just walk away and sit down. And because the d- guy wasn't standing over her looking threatening, she just came and investigated, like, what, what are you doing? Mm. So when you stand over a dog and call them, usually they won't come. You need to either walk away or sit down or even lie down on the ground. Dogs are incredibly curious. And if you lie down on the ground, they'll be straight over to see what's happening. Are there good books? Uh, I mean, you should write yeah. one if you haven't read Actually, Brian, I am. <laughs> I love when we get an exclusive. Are you right? You seriously yeah, wrote yeah. a book? Um, I, I wrote a book a few years ago, but it wasn't published. So I'm, I'm having a look at that and reviewing it. So if anybody has any particular particular topics that they would like for me to address in the book I would love some some engagement on that there you go yeah so so if anybody's out there and they're listening and they want me to cover some particular topics or you're having any particular issues I'd, I'd love some feedback I tell you what well, I would I mean I, I don't have, I'm not yeah. lucky enough I'm fortunate enough time in my life to have space for a dog and it was a conscious decision but I'd love some stuff around canine psychology oh yeah yeah yeah. because I, I that all day yeah no because I think that's where it all comes from because does, we yeah. can't talk to dogs to yeah. find out what's going on so we've got to get deeper and understand yeah. that psychology yeah but the, but the what's great is that everybody can sit down and watch dogs in the park you don't have to own a dog to study them right so so to just sit down next time you're having coffee in town just watch the dogs and watch how they engage and watch their owners it's it's fascinating and dog psychology is really about understanding how dogs <laughs> relate to I'm, each other sorry I'm laughing at a text message when we were making them weird noises there oh, a yeah. few moments ago a text just said um, she's just telling jo- dogs not to be worried she's just a mad woman on the radio <laughs> yelling <laughs> well that mad woman on the radio yelling is Samantha Rawson from the Canine College. We've just found out she's planning on writing a book. If you've got topics that you'd love Samantha to include within that book, text us, WhatsApp us. Um, we, we'll help. We'll help Samantha. She'll yeah, do all the donkey I, work. But I we'll need a bit of need a bit of research. So so. Oh wait, three three oh six nine six nine six. Our dinner's ready. Text and WhatsApp line. Chapter one: Dog Psychology, as requested by Brian Redmond. But if you want to get a mention in the book as well, <laughs> um, you can uh, you can get those into us as well. Uh, what are you going to say, Samantha? And I'm on Instagram. If you want to check me out on Instagram, Samantha. Samantha dot Rawson. Samantha dot Rawson on Instagram. Uh, on Instagram. So you can even D, you can slide into Samantha's DMs yeah, yeah, and yeah. give her a topic of conversation uh, for her book. It's it's uh, you should do. You definitely should yeah, yeah. do. Yeah, we'd love to see it. How long will it take you? Um, about eight to ten weeks. So I oh, so quick. So Etna, put a date in the diary <laughs> for the middle of November. We're doing Samantha Rawson's book launch here live on the show in about eight to ten weeks. Samantha Rawson from the Canine College. Um, keep up that mad uh, yelling on the radio, as our texter says. Uh, 21 minutes past 11 o'clock. Samantha is here with us every week. Rawson on Instagram. Am I following you? Are you following me? I think I'm following you, Brian. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, I'll sort that out straight away. Samantha, take care. <laughs> KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. KCLR. Welcome back. It's uh, 24 minutes past 11 o'clock. We were talking about the fact that it's the anniversary of 9 11, and Samantha and I were just talking about the fact that it's the iconic moments. Um, news moment of our generation in the same way that the Kennedy assassination was for previous generations. Quite a lot of you actually texting and WhatsApping me stories of where you were and what you remember from that date 22 years ago. Uh, Hi Brian, I remember being in Ibiza walking along the promenade and hearing people shouting at each other 
uh, that were on boats, uh, that the Twin Towers were hit by a plane, the panic on everyone's faces, and there was a rush to get to the airport to get home in case of a lockdown on flights. It will forever live in my memory and the loss of people in that attack. May they rest in peace. Um, and I think a story that probably beats them all from Tommy. Uh, he says, on 9-11, I, w- I was working, listen to this, uh, for a nuclear physicist, physicist, I can't even say it, let alone do it. Um, Tommy was working for a nuclear physicist in Los Alamos, New Mexico that morning. Um, his wife was on her way to school. Uh, it'll never leave him, he says, the F-16 fighter jets flying over the lab and the sheer disbelief of what was unfolding. RIP to those souls, says Tommy. Um, thanks for that, Tommy. I'd love, to, I'd love to hear that story. I'd love to know what you were doing working for a, a nuclear physicist in Los Alamos, New Mexico, um, this day 22 years ago when uh, tragedy struck the people of the Twin Towers in New York. 25 past 11, you're more than welcome to keep them text messages coming in 083 306 9696 is that dinner's ready text and whatsapp line now um, on Friday just gone we were joined on the Friday panel by Jim Mulhall Chilkenny IFA and at the time we talked about um, the farmers concerns about nitrate derogation and, and what was going to be the cause but well, they've gone one stage further because the farmers are now heading to the Fianna Fáil thinking in County Tipperary and joining us now to tell us uh, more about what's planned for the next couple of days uh, Jim Mulhall Chair of Kilkenny IFA Jim uh, great to speak to you book in the weekend Friday afternoon Monday morning how are you keeping? Morning, Brian. Um, I'm keeping okay. Yeah, and it, it, from a, from a, a, a very wet horse and jockey. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're after having a torrential downpour here, so to test testing people's resolve. But look at people are determined to well, stay. The topic of the conversation on Friday was around being outside the door or inside the door, involved in conversations or not involved in conversations. And uh, the IFA, the farmers in general, they've turned up on mass or are about to do so. Um, and another opportunity to meet with the powers that be. What are you hoping to get up to today? So, so we're here this morning as the uh, as the TDs and ministers, uh, the relevant ministers, were arriving here in the horse and jockey and. and as I speak to you at the moment, there's a large crowd outside the hotel, maybe a couple of hundred people from different corners of the country. But I suppose more importantly is we, we have secured a meeting with the Tornish and, and uh, with the Minister for Agriculture um, and with Jackie Carr, the local TD, who is the chairman of the Joint Directors Committee. So that meeting has taken place at the moment. So our president, Tim Cullinan, and the relevant uh, commodity chairs safe for livestock and dairy and the environment chair Kenny and Paul O'Brien Greg Namana as our national environment chair are gone into the room and the two local county chairs from north and south tip here as well so uh, the discussion on Friday was outside the door and inside the door well at the moment Brian we're both we have a large crowd outside the door and we have a delegation gone in inside the door to meet uh, to meet as I said to meet the Tarnish and the minister and the relevant and, and the relevant uh, TDs uh, from the area as well. So I suppose what we're trying to point out to them is the significance and the, the absolute devastating impact that this court is going to have to Irish agriculture and we'll have to see what will come from that and then we'll have to discuss our, our next move. And Jim, we spoke in detail about the, how this cut in, in those nitrate levels and the derogation and such affects farmers. We discussed all that on Friday, but just tell me about the meeting that's taking place now. Was that meeting planned or is it just something that the government have conceded to because you've turned up there en masse? When was that meeting confirmed? Absolutely. It was, the meeting was convened here in the car park uh, about 15 minutes ago. So 
the Minister, uh, Minister McConnell Logue and his advisors came out uh, to meet our President Tim Cullinan and uh, we had taken a decision beforehand, uh, we said county chairs, we had had a, a quick meeting before and then we had decided out in a car park in the rain in front of a crowd uh, is not the place to engage in any discussion of, of, of this serious nature. So when the minister the minister came out to meet us, I suppose uh, we just said to him, "Look, at, this is not the place. Uh, we need to go in. We need to sit down in the room, and we need to have a proper engagement." So that was agreed to. Uh, the tarnish that came out then to uh, no, it was hard to hear. To be fair, I couldn't hear what the man was saying. He came out and he into the middle of the crowd, and he said he was happy to uh, he was happy for a delegation uh, from the IFA to go in. So that's what's happening at the moment as to what that will bring uh, remains to be seen but um, as we discussed the other day sometimes you need to be outside the room and sometimes you need to be inside the room but as I said at the moment we're both and the farmers doing it all um, any idea as to how long that meeting will take place I'm sure um, those attending the thinking had a fairly full schedule anyway and uh, you must be happy to see that at least they found some time in that schedule to meet with you well it was critical that they did Brian now, I mean whatever the schedule is They'll have to move it for us because this is having this is going to have a significant impact and a lot of and as I said to the other day there's an awful lot of dis- disenfranchised rural voters who vote for both political parties both for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and they're feeling forgotten so it was important that they made time for for the rural vote like it, they depend on farmers and a lot of rural people making a living depend on farmers too so the politicians they needed to hear our concerns and uh, and hopefully. Uh, Hopefully they will, and as I said, we're not sure what the next step uh, will be. We have planned to stay here until the end of the protest, just to keep a presence here. Oh, sorry, until the end of their thinking, I should say. And um, so that is the plan, and that, as far as I'm concerned, remains unchanged until it depends what comes from this meeting, Brian. So as things stand, pending the outcome of that meeting, it's the intention of the farmers to remain at the Fianna Fáil thinking. And indeed, some talk that you'll be heading to uh, Limerick for Fianna Gael's thinking on Friday and yes. Saturday. Yeah, well, I actually don't think this protest will be stood down, uh, to tell you the truth. I think we'll be staying here. Like, I, I don't think a meeting, uh, this is going to, This is going we're, we're in for the long haul and I don't think you're going to get the crowd that are here uh, to move too easily, to tell you the truth. There's a lot of, even as I stand here looking at the faces, there's a lot of concerned people here and that's why they're here from, from right around our own county in Kilkenny and right up and down the country. We've got a very large turnout here from uh, Kilkenny farmers, which I'm happy to report. And from your Carlo and from Carlo as well, which is a lot of your listeners are listening to. But um, I, I certainly think that we, I like this protest will be staying here. And the plan is, as you say, is to go to Limerick for the fine gale thinking this coming weekend because this problem is not going to be solved and this issue is not going to be solved overnight. And Jim, one of the things that we didn't really talk about on Friday um, was the delay in payments that are due to be made to farmers. Give us a bit of an insight as to um, what those payments are for and why, based on your understanding, there have been such delays. Yeah, so it's 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 simple enough, Brian. So there's every year we have to make applications for our for our BIS payments, which is which is um, which is part of the common agricultural policy, and there's environmental schemes there as well, and there's also a and C payments, which is areas of natural constraint. So for people to leave land um, to say uh, disadvantaged land used to be called before, but anyway, so all those schemes are usually paid uh, early in or in the tail end of this month. Now the minister had signalled 
to us and I certainly don't accept this. They had signaled to us uh, earlier on in the year that there would be a delay this year because of the, the fact that it was a new, it was a new, uh, it was a new scheme, and they had to, you know, resource it and get the IT uh, to set up and the program set up for the payment. However, my argument to that be there is no other sector of society. I mean, nurses or teachers or anybody else who receive money from the state wouldn't accept uh, a delay in payment, um, and it was up to the minister to lead and to resource it and get it sorted or find a mechanism to issue people some of the payment until the until the software and they had the IT part sorted out and then they could sort out the end of it at a later date. But I just, I find it, I call that an excuse and we've had enough excuses from this minister. He just needs to uh, get the payment out because people depend on this money brain. Uh, and I mean, this is a very expensive time of year. Mm. As all your listeners know, whether it's a farm household or not, in terms of getting youngsters back to school, children are going back to college my own son went back to college last night and um, so you have to find money for accommodation money for college fees you know so these are costs that everyone listening to this uh, call know that's on that's on in a lot of households and it's just not acceptable that a minister can say oh hang on a few weeks there lads we'll uh, we're waiting to get the IT written and like saying we'll have it right next year but sure it's live horse and get grass next year sure I mean you know it's just not acceptable. So I think the minister needs to get this matter sorted as well because this affects affects a lot of people. Well, you we have every, enough excuses, Brian. Every every day, every week is a busy time of year in farm life, but I mean it's a particularly busy time of the year at the moment. Um, are you expecting more farming community members to arrive throughout the afternoon? What's the mood like amongst those that are there at the moment? Well, as I said, there's nothing like rain to dampen the spirits um, and to get people focused on, on the issue at hand. But people are here, they've arrived in large numbers and there is a kind of, there is a rota done up to keep, I suppose, to keep the crowd here. So different counties are coming at different times. Uh, Kenny are here on this morning. I'll be back here again tonight. And um, uh, it'll be kept going right through the day. So there's a rota done up and that's all organised and the people will be here for staying overnight and staying tomorrow and I suppose the message we're trying to send to the Minister is we're here we're not going away uh, he's just going to have to sort the issues uh, that are there and um, I think the time for excuses is over Brian it's up to him to lead and sort out his department but we shall find out throughout the afternoon Jim I'm sure if it's okay with you we'll check in a little bit later on in the morning or into the early afternoon to see has that meeting that wasn't planned but nevertheless has convened to see if that meeting has shed any further light onto the situation and to see how things are progressing um, Jim we might be back with you again quickly tomorrow on the show and, and, and see how it's progressing from there Jim Mulhall Chair of Kilkenny IFA thanks for your time this morning Jim speaking to us live, as we said, from that uh, Fianna Fáil thinking in County Tipperary. Yeah, good news. They are been they've been invited into a meeting. We weren't expecting to hear that, but we did bring it to you live here on the show this morning. And do stay tuned to our news bulletins right throughout the afternoon. We'll keep you up to date with how the farmers and the politics are all getting around the same table and what might come about of it. 24 minutes to 12 o'clock and we're going to take a short little break after which we're going to change tack a little bit and we're going to speak all things Culture Night Tullow Culture Night KCL or live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card the perfect gift for all occasions see fairgreen.ie 
KCLR. Yes, you're very welcome. Back to the show. 21 minutes to 12 o'clock. Lots of really, really interesting um, texts and WhatsApps coming in uh, about 9-11 people telling me where they were and what they were up to. You can really put them together in all sorts of a, a little book. Also, people talking about the IFA, as we said, we heard there just before that break, Jim Mulhall, um, along with many other farming members um, across the country, and particularly Kenny and Carlo, down at that Fianna Fáil thinking. And they've been invited in to a meeting, as they said, rather than standing out in the car park in the rain. Texter says, ask the IFA about the ordinary non-farming people that have a right to have rivers and normal levels of nitrates if anybody has any doubts. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, there's lots of different angles in all of these stories, and it's a difficult job. <laughs> I'm going to get a slap now because it's the politicians that have to find the answers, and sometimes those answers are difficult, but at least they're in chats. We shall see how that pans out right throughout the afternoon. There's something that we know how it's going to pan out is all things Tullow Culture Night because I've been very well informed, briefed in advance by uh, Loretta Bentick and Dennis Ryan, both committee members with Tullow Culture Night. And they both join me in studio now. You're very welcome along. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Dennis. That's me, yes. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> Culture, really important to us here in Irish society. We're always banging on about it, and rightly so. Yeah, I suppose we're, 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 all, we're always very proud of our culture, mm. um, and it's a very diverse culture that we have, be it sports, be it music, uh, all sorts of entertainment. Mm. Uh, and even, I suppose, even family life, you know, has a culture of its own as well. So, you know, it's culture isn't just one one thing. It, you know, it's, it's a whole diverse um system if you like. Yeah it is, I mean like people sometimes mistakenly think of culture as being the arts, they're not the two, the arts are part of our culture but our culture is everything that makes us what we are. Um, Loretta you know, big big event coming up, lots planned, give people a bit of an insight as to the type of things that are coming up as part of the the festivities. Culture Night is going to be absolutely fantastic. First of all, when's it happening? It's happening September the 27th Second and Culture Night um, happens nationally, and there's great events going on all over Carlo and the surrounding towns. Mm. And back in March this year, uh, we put out a message to see would anyone like to be involved in putting on a Culture Night in Tullo, and the response was unbelievable. Was it? It was unbelievable. Is this the first time you've done your own specific Tullo Culture Night? Yes. yes, it is. Yes, it is. It our, is. our first attempt at it. So uh, we're looking forward to it. Um, whatever mistakes we make, we make. And um, that's what I don't think about, I don't, isn't it? Well, it is. And I, but I don't think uh, you know. I mean, we look around and we see what people are coming up with, what ideas they're coming up with, and we're delighted with their response. Um, you know, it was a little bit daunting at the start when, when we looked at you know what are we taking on here. Mm. But you make your own way on these and hope that on the night things will just pan out. So give us some idea, give us some um, details on those events, Loretta. Oh, on um, Culture Night. Well, the Cordis Centre, on the evening when we we put out the request, was anybody be interested, along came Andrea Kelly. She's actually um, an acclaimed Irish actor and she's a producer and a director and she said, I'd like to be part of Culture Night. So right. she's liaised on with the Cordis Centre and they've been working with Andrea to bring the magic of the um, fairy folklore about the Ring of the Ra that is situated just outside of Tulla into people's imaginations. And it's been inspired by Andrea's own memories of her childhood holidays that she had with her father 
in an, in Tullow, and she used to hear about the stories of the fairies. Is that is so? Is, is that like a little play that's been put on? It is a three short. There's three short acts in the play, and it's an opportunity to celebrate. Um, just inclusive theatre and the cultural importance of people and places. And where's that taking place? And that's in the parish centre. Um, we've got a huge range of entertainment going on between 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock and that is one of the features of it is the unique performance and it's called Tales from the Ring of the Ra. Tales from the Ring of the Ra. Dennis, it's great to see. I mean, so many towns and, and you know, smaller, even, even smaller townlands around the country have facilities like this that can quite often you know be a big hub for part of the community but maybe not used to their fullest it's great to find an event that themes with all those things that you've got in Tullow isn't it well it is it's a nice opportunity for us to bring them all together um, I mean I know Ring of the Red technically is outside County Carlow it's actually in Kilkenny but it's, it's Tullow and uh, but it's it's uh, it's a great uh, Amenity, I suppose, out there for people that anybody wants to go out there. There's car parking facilities out there, go and have a look at it. It's it's a great, uh, great place. And in fairness to, to uh, Eileen in the Cordes Centre, her service users are putting on this production for us. Uh, as as, as Lurie said, it's three uh, one act pieces. Yeah. Um, about the fairies at the rare and all the stories associated with that. Because uh, kids, kids particularly love stories about fairies and all that stuff. So it'd be really, really popular. But go on, what else have we got planned? Because it's not just that one event, of yeah, course. No, no. Well, in the Cordes Centre as well, they've got um, craft work displayed by members who attend there and they've got local artists coming in from surrounding areas and they're going to have artwork on display. And we've got an African drumming workshop. Okay. And I would like to mention every event is free. Yeah. And all the tickets are available in Tullo Discount Store. So for the African drumming um, workshop, um, they can accommodate 30 people at a time. Okay. And we've got four half hour slots. So and it's oh, you're, 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 you're about 120 people <laughs> in total through. <laughs> of the, of the, see, I'm good at maths. Yeah, good at maths. You're Just good about. at maths. <laughs> And um, as I said, the tickets are free, but they've got to be got in Tullo Discount Store. And that's going to be really good fun because it's non-competitive yeah. and it'll give everybody a chance to try African drumming. And the thing with African drumming, in a similar sort of way that you got the similar sort of vibes with Brazilian stuff as well, that if you can keep one beat yeah. and close your ears to what the people left and right of you are doing, all everybody comes together and makes a fabulous chorus as well. Lots yeah. of face painting and stuff like that for the kids yeah. also as well. And the, re- the resource centre, what they're doing, Forward Steps, um, they're doing a rock project and you can go in and put your name or do a design on a rock and we hope to have these displayed somewhere in the town afterwards. There's also food tasting going on there from around the world. So come with your empty tummies. <laughs> and they're doing a range of uh, cultural demonstrations in there and the people that attend the centre, they're going to be wearing their authentic costumes from their countries. So lots of that- colour. A lot of colour. And, and and Dennis as well, I mean, like the Ukrainian community that ha- have sort of enriched so many of the communities around the country at the moment. Um, you've got ladies from that Ukrainian community uh, 
making a, a big piece of lace work as well. That's correct, yeah. Uh, now, I'm a, personally, I'm intrigued to see what this will be because I haven't seen... You it. haven't been helping them now? No, I haven't been helping them. <laughs> uh, they've been working away in the background, um, but they assure us that they have a fabulous piece for us and will be available uh, for viewing in the co- in the Cordes Centre, isn't it? Yes, the Cordes Centre. Yeah, yeah. And of so, course, uh, so many of these events, one of the most popular attractions is the tea and coffee station because everybody loves a cup yeah. of tea and coffee. So you've got that to wash it all down as well. But Tullow Library are also involved as well. Yeah, they're putting on a, a film, a documentary film called Tension. And it's about Carlo art and craft makers who've worked together to create unique pieces of work, even during the challenges of COVID. And you can meet the makers of these beautiful pieces of work in the library between five and seven. And um, you can have a chat to them as well. Tullow Men's Shed are involved there showcasing yeah. it and, and doing a talk about um, their own handmade items and uh, we've also got uh, culture through the eyes of a child Dennis can you tell us anything about that well what, what we have we have um, I suppose a room set up here for the youngsters uh, with all sorts of arts and crafts pieces available to them and uh, we're asking them really to uh, I suppose t- tell us what, what you think culture is about mm. Uh, I always find that stuff really, really interesting because the open canvas point is is quite an interesting one because you just never know, Loretta, what the kids are going to come up with. Sure, you don't. And we've got participating schools and we've participating creches, and they're all making artwork this week, and it's going to be displayed in the library windows. So. They, they, they've been asked to celebrate what's important to them about their culture and to do different designs and whether d- using different textiles and everything. So that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, the thing with this, whether it's like, so for example, in schools, they tend to have like international dance days or culture days or international yeah. flays. The thing is that this, I think we get this wrong so often because we talk about trying to protect Irish culture mm. as if, people living in Ireland who have different cultural backgrounds are in some way impinging on Irish culture. They're not. They're making no. it even more rich, Dennis. Enriching it. Yeah, that's great, yeah. That's I th- you know, when it looks through the... And, and by the way, for those listening at home, like the, the guys brought me in three pages worth of stuff that's going on there. We've only sort of really touched on it a little yeah. bit to give you an insight as to what's going on. Loretta, is there a Facebook page or anything like that set up that people can, can check out all there this type of stuff? There certainly is. We've got a Teleculture Night Facebook page and it's for everyone to keep up to date with what's happening and if anybody wants to contact us, please email tullerculturenight2023 at gmail.com or telephone Dennis on 087-670-1091. And, of course, we couldn't do this without the support of uh, Carla County Council. <laughs> and Loretta, sp- I'm just laughing because you're giving out Dennis's phone number. Dennis is like, ah, oh, my phone has got to be jammed up. <laughs> she didn't give out her own phone number, I noticed. <laughs> I, I, I noticed that all right. <laughs> Dennis, I, 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 had, I had given up permission to you. Oh, that's OK, that's fine. So you're not in trouble, Loretta, when you leave. Thank Dennis, God. Dennis, I know you mentioned at the start it's the first year you're doing it but I mean looking at the the, the program events and the schedule events you've done a fabulous job for the first year uh, presumably barring anything going massively wrong which obviously won't happen uh, you've probably already started looking forward to next year well we're looking forward to finishing off tonight anyway yeah uh, we're, we're finishing off in JJ's bar oh in, yeah as, as usual but no um, we'll, we, I suppose we'll have to sit down and, after the event and see uh, where we were right, where we were yeah. wrong, and look at the next year. Where, where we can, pro- uh, you know, progress and. 
And Lorette, would you do me one favour before yeah. we finish off? Um, in case anybody is trying to find where the party is happening, if it's moved on from JJ's bar afterwards, give out give out Dennis's phone number there again. No, in I case won't. Dennis. No, I won't. You can slap me afterwards. You can slap me afterwards. Well, listen, congratulations to you. I mean, as you said, it's only the first time it's happened to have such a massive programme uh, already in place. Um, yeah. It's fantastic. So I suppose what, what we would say to the people in Toronto is it is a free event. We're delighted to see everybody out there. Um, now, we did mention earlier that booking was required for a few of the things. Yeah. That was because um, we are limited in space in, okay. in, the, in yeah. the Paris Centre. Unfortunately, that was so we had to limit it. Um, now, if, if we were doing it again, perhaps we'd look at another venue. That's for another day. Yeah, maybe Nolan Park or... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that. So, yeah, but so I'd ask people just to just come along. You will enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so, and thanks for the opportunity. No, absolutely. Listen, like brilliant to have you both in. Loretta Bentick and uh, Dennis Ryan. Um, the first ever Tullow Culture Night. Uh, they're both committee members. They've got everything sorted out by the sounds already. You can find them on Facebook. You can check out all of their details and uh, go along and enjoy those events. Dennis, Go on, you want to say something further? I was further? just going to say, if, if people, I suppose, around Tullow over the weekend, they will have noticed bunting going up, so the party's beginning. Oh, very much, yes. So, if you're wondering what's happening in Tullow, yeah. it's all Dennis's and Loretta's yeah. fault. Uh, take care, guys. Thanks for having you in. It's eight minutes to 12 o'clock as they head out the door. We're going to take a short little break. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Very welcome back to KCLR. First of all, before we go any further, thanks to all of you sharing so many kind messages uh, throughout the morning today. Um, telling us your stories, obviously, of 9-11 and your memories, but also talking about the Carlo Kilkenny home care team. Um, I know that stuff is personal, so it's always nice when people do share it. Etna Quirk is in studio. It is Palliative Care Week, obviously, as well, Etna. It is indeed. We just had a lovely message through, and as you say, thanks to people for sharing them. Um, I'm just going to read it out. My mum passed away a year ago, and life went very different without the home care team care. I think it's great that they've got funding um, and they are recognised for the work that they do. They were such a great support to the family. They see what you don't see and they say the right thing at the right time. They were a great comfort to us and I think every family should be able to avail of their services. And that's from the Cuddies in Bracken. And I read it. I'm getting very emotional um, because we availed of the services of the home care team in May um, before my dad died. And just a massive thanks. And I said it to Brian and Catherine earlier when they were here. Um, the the work that they do for families um, and the dignity that they provide to people who are at the end stages of life is just words can't describe it. <laughs> it's it's only four months yeah. since your own father passed away. Yeah. And when I was talking to the guys earlier on and I mentioned to them about how people had talked to me about palliative care and the comfort that they got of it. I was thinking about you guys. Yeah, because I know, obviously, you know, working around you and being around you, you, you were kindly sharing and, and keeping us all involved. But there was a sense of relief from you when I suppose you got that bled sword, that news that palliative care team were coming in. How did it feel? Um, look, it was massive, um, massive news, massive blow, obviously. But also, you know, when you realise your loved one is coming to the end of their journey with suffering and pain. It, it, yes, it, it is. It is a sense of relief. It's also a sense of huge sadness. But you know, my dad always wanted to be at home. 
um, and be surrounded by family and the land and we were to give him that and that will be such a great comfort and it was something that we were hugely honoured to do as a family but we couldn't have done it without the help of the home care team and also the nurses from the Irish Cancer Society Um, just our our every wish from you know the public health nurse um, dad's GP everybody just rallied and um, yeah just just massive words I'll never be able to describe um, what they did for us as a family and what they did for dad and uh, they must have been a huge help to your mum as well yeah, a huge help. And, and afterwards as well, you know, just checking in and, you know, and, and even something, just things that you, you don't realise, I suppose, like that even, you know, after dad died, that they came and, and took care of him and, you know, washed him and freshened him and got him into a lovely new set of jammies and, you know, things that you you just don't think of, um, you know, and they're there with you during the night and they're helping you share stories and, you know, giving you quietly supporting, I suppose, they'll be as as quiet or as chatty as you want them to be but you know just to be able to let you know what to expect or what's coming in 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 the final stages it's yeah. um it's it's yeah. it's a real skill isn't it it is oh listen we met so many fantastic people and and just yeah thank you to all of you for the the absolutely tireless work that you do well thank you um for having the kahunas and the bravery to, to, to read that Over, letter. Oversharing, as always. No, no, you're not oversharing <laughs> at all. You're not oversharing. I mean, it takes it takes bravery to do that and, and to share those stories. But I think it's part of the human race. The more we can share it with one another, the better we'll all be. Yeah. And thanks again to all our listeners this morning for sharing all their beautiful messages. Um, uh, it's coming up on 12 o'clock. It's been a fantastic show this morning. Etna is uh, heading out of the studio. She's probably going to find a little corner somewhere to, to cry in and she's more than welcome to do that. Etna, I'll catch up with you in a minute. Um, thanks to Etna and all the team for putting the show together this morning as always. But most importantly, thanks for you. Join us again tomorrow morning from 10. Um, enjoy your afternoon. John Keane will be with you after the news at 12. Take care. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.